It's 10 o'clock. Normally at our church we start at 10.02, tradition being what it is. Um, but welcome to this class on dialogical preaching. You're just going to sit here and listen the whole time. Um, I'm just kidding. You're not going to. Um, so if we'll go back, Tim, sorry. Um, basically, we're going to talk about going from monologue to dialogue. And through the power or through the power of preaching through dialogical approaches. And I appreciate you coming. I know it's a risky thing to do a class on changing up preaching in a Church of Christ tradition <laughs> that really values um, that really values preaching. And so I'm suggesting a different approach that's really worked well for us at the church that I'm at and also at the church that we were at in Portland. But it's something to think about and consider as a practice. And so we'll engage that together and then I have some questions. If you're interested in having these slides, you can point your phone at this QR code and just take those right now so you don't have to take pictures of them. Um, I will put it back up at the end too if you'd like those. And make sure you download it or do what you're going to do before Sunday or you'll be tuning in to our church bulletin. <laughs> Everyone got it? Wait, one more. Okay. We'll it open. And we'll put it back up at the end, okay? All right, let's go. So my name is Sherelle Russell, and I am the pastor at New Heritage Fellowship Church. It's north of Dallas in Fairview. And this is me preaching, um, and that's my family over there. My husband, Tim, is the tech guy at church, and he's the tech guy here today. We've got three kids. Our daughter, Riley, on the end is about to graduate from UTD uh, May 15th. Our son, Skyler, is uh, also at UTD, and our daughter, Kendall, in the middle, is going to graduate from high school on May 26th. So we're about to enter into a new phase of life. And I just finished my Doctor of Ministry with Lipscomb. This is my committee on Zoom finishing that up. So it's been a busy, it's going to be a busy May, and it's already been a busy April. Uh, this is a picture, sorry Tim, sorry, of our church up at the top. We meet in a shopping center in an event venue. And as you can see, we meet in tables. And I just wanted to put that so you kind of get a feel for the kind of church that we are. We're a small church. We have about 70 people and we just got a couple more families that we're hoping will stick around. But a lot of our folks are people who've been through church trauma and spiritual trauma. And so it's a slow entry to get people to come and to feel safe and to stay. And so, um, but we're a small church and I'm just gonna start this off by saying what I'm um, proposing today in dialogical preaching really works better in small churches or in small groups. Um, you might say at the end, how does this work in a large church? I don't know. <laughs> I've only ever done this in small churches and small groups. So just keep that in mind. Uh, New Heritage, we fancy ourselves an egalitarian priesthood of all believers. And so that's a really important value at our church, that everyone that comes to New Heritage, we share our spaces with everyone. There is a deep um, desire 
for us to do with power what we believe that Jesus does with power, which is to share it and to disperse it. And that, for us, also includes hermeneutical power. So that belongs to everyone, and not just the preacher or the trained person or the teacher. We want everyone, including our children, to have hermeneutical power and to develop the muscles of, um, of exegesis and finding meaning and application in scripture. So again, just some more pictures of new heritage. I want to also mention, if you'll see the screen up front, in one of the pictures at least, we're a hybrid church. After 2020, like most folks, we had to try something new, and we went fully on Zoom for 15 to 18 months. And we ended up getting quite a few people that don't live in our city who were part of our Zoom church, and they said, don't forget about us when you start meeting in person. So we actually have a hybrid model between, uh, so on Sunday morning, there's people in the room in person, and we have people Zooming in, and so we're still able to interact. We don't have a, a what's it called, streaming service. We use Zoom even now so that we can interact with one another. We practice dwelling in the Word. I don't know if you've heard of that practice, but it's where we stay in a scripture for a while together, and we find a listening partner, we share what we heard, and then anyone can share out. And so there's just a lot of sharing is a huge value at New Heritage. We also practice shared preaching. Anyone can sign up to share a sermon. And one of my favorite things to do is to get to walk with someone in the learning to write a sermon process. We often have someone who's never preached before, and so then I will get with them and we'll walk through the process of coming up with a sermon or a message and sharing it. And then we also have people that come in all the time as guest preachers, which is another thing we love. This is Candace, she's sitting here, she does not go to New Heritage, but she came and preached a wonderful sermon on Rahab. But we love having people come in to guest preach. Some more of our guest preachers. Go ahead, babe. And that's my daughter doing uh, preaching a sermon there. But that is all to say that for us, the pulpit is a shared space. And we are hoping to kind of reorient that space. And the way that we do that is with, is with one another and with a diverse group of voices. <clears throat> How that works for us, excuse me, is we literally send out a sign-up sheet at the beginning of each series and say, sign up to be part of this series. Now you might be saying, that sounds like chaos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not, because we also usually have a conversation partner, not usually, actually, always. For this series we're in right now, which just started last Sunday, we're using this book called Jesus People by Ryan Post. It's a great book on the Beatitudes, and everyone who signs up to do a sermon has to get that book and then read that chapter, preferably the whole book, before they do it. And then we walk alongside them in the creation of that. But that helps us can have some harmony, and that helps us have some unity. Still tracking with me? Okay. Anyone already freaked out? <laughs> okay. So I'm saying that a dialogue is greater than a monologue. And I'm going to share with you why. I have some quotes in here that I really love, and I'm going to point out to you things I like about these quotes in, in terms of dialogical preaching. Preaching is not simply a matter of conveying information. It is a matter of engaging people in dialogue that may lead 
to transformation. Our church is very focused on discipleship, and for us that means transformation. We're all transforming to be more like Jesus, and we think that that happens better in a communal, uh, dialogical setting where there's mutuality and sharing. In dialogical preaching, the preacher is less a monologue performer and more a dialogue leader. So you are changing your skill set a bit, right? You are doing some shifting, kind of like in class, except I still I do a lot more preparation for sermon for my sermonic conversation than I do teaching a class. So there is still uh, a difference there. Um, the most effective preaching is dialogue, not monologue. The message comes to life when we engage in meaningful conversation. And so this is where I say that, yes, literally in the middle of a sermon, I will pivot to the congregation and ask a question. And that opens things up. What is dialogical preaching? Dialogical preaching is a type of sermon in which the preacher engages in a dialogue with the congregation rather than simply delivering a one-way monologue. It involves creating a space for discussion and interaction during the sermon, inviting the congregation to participate and share their thoughts, questions, and insights. This form of preaching emphasizes listening, reflection, and mutual learning, as opposed to the traditional model of preaching where the pre preacher speaks and the congregation listens. Dialogical preaching seeks to create a shared space for the exploration of scripture and, um, excuse me, of scripture ideas and experiences with the goal of deepening both the preacher's and the congregation's understanding of the text and their relationship with God and the community. So there's a lot of different things happening in dialogical preaching. I really believe that what people are seeking in their life is intimacy. And I also really believe that churches are terrible at cultivating it. And so this is a way that we have seen God work to create intimacy within our congregation. There's a lot of trust that goes into this kind of practice. There's a, a huge deal of listening that goes into it. There's a lot of responsibility that we all bring to the table. And when that is established and it becomes a rhythm, there is intimacy that comes out of that. I have learned more about people at our church on a Sunday morning during a sermonic conversation than I sometimes have over coffee or in a living room. And when people feel safe to share in a community, something powerful happens because we all get to hear a story that could have a profound impact on the way that we engage with one another and the world outside of the walls of our event venue, <laughs> our church. Um, I don't want to give you the illusion that you're not preparing and that your preaching gift is not important anymore. It is. I still spend a lot of time looking at um, commentaries and doing the work to put the sermon together. And, but I also, in that preparation and in my manuscript, will include questions. I usually do two or three. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but it is going to change the amount of time that you preach. Like, we can't take Paul's preaching all night literally, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm also going to share something else about that too. But you're still doing the work and putting in the work. But what I'll say about that is, you're, the way I look at dialogical preaching is there's a traje trajectory. 
I know where I want to end up at the end of the sermon, right? We know that. And so you're not just asking a question to ask a question. You're asking a question that's going to help you stay on that trajectory to get where you want to go. Does that make sense? Okay. Dialogical preaching engages the whole person, inviting each one to participate in the ongoing conversation about God, self, and community. In dialogical preaching, we invite the congregation to bring their own questions, struggles, and doubts to the table. It's about creating a safe space where we can be honest with ourselves and each other. A lot of powerful conversations can take place on a Sunday morning when we're all gathered together in one place. And over time, people bring, can bring their whole selves to that conversation. People can ask questions, and we're not always going to have the answer but that's okay. Um, this is one thing I love about dialogical preaching. I think it's so important for me as a leader to trust that the people that I'm walking with in this journey also have the spirit and have the gift of wisdom. The spirit is working within them, and wisdom is abounds. And it's important, I think, for us to believe that. And so what this process does, what this practice does, is we come to the table trusting that that wisdom is there um, and that we all get to partake of that wisdom. Modeled after Jesus, the master teacher who asked more questions than he gave answers, right? I re I've heard several times and seen the, seen the meme about Jesus asking about 307 questions and very few direct answers, right? He usually answers with another question or a story. Um, Jesus, who internalized scripture, rarely read manuscripts. I don't think he ever did. <laughs> Probably never wrote one. But who told lots of stories and parables. And this is the part I think is really important. That invited deeper questions and reflection. So trying to go deeper. And why I think this is important? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But one is, our, our and me too, I spend so much time on my devices. I spend so much time watching things on TV, and I know that we know a lot of our folks are heavily invested in a news channel or two that's just on all day. And so I think that it's really important that we're trying to dig deep, have those seeds watered and planted so that we can um, have a chance of that transformation process. So here's the first question. What impact do you think that dialogical preaching might have on a community? Does anyone in here already practice this at their church? Okay, good. So what, what do you think it might do? Just thinking about it. Like, like you said, this person's authority yeah. over what, how to you know, experience the text. Yeah, very good. Disperses authority. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Yeah. So Said everyone has a spirit. You rely on the spirit more for leader centered. Yeah, very good. Thank you. It increases individual engagement of the whole, whole process. You right. don't fall asleep and drift off because you're. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 you
Right, everyone has a voice. So good. Go ahead, Candace. Yeah, I think it's not just important for those that are speaking, but the listeners. They hear different, you know, I may hear you, but I may hear somebody else that looks like me, or maybe that I know their walk of life, and when they say it, oh, maybe that means even more. I hear it in a different way. So whether I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too shy to speak, but I, when I hear it, I may get gain a greater insight from someone else that I know right yeah and it is tough it's not a this is not a consumer practice right this is a practice where you have to show up and you have to um, invest and you have to give um, and that can be difficult sometimes i think small churches can be difficult to enter into because intimacy is what we crave but it's also intimidating and if we've been hurt in other spaces that makes it even more challenging um, thank you for answering those questions go ahead Sherelle, would you encourage a, a question to be asked in the middle of your presentation before you present the question? Yes, yeah, sometimes. You that? I mean, how do you train the congregation yeah. for this type of... Right. I'm going to show you. Um, and so usually I'll ask a question before and during, but sometimes I'll do one in the middle and after. It just depends on where we're headed, right? What the traje trajectory is. Also, you're, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Go ahead, Tim. So just an example, we said that Jesus is a good model for this kind of, of practice, but the early church was too. I really liked this quote by Bob Hyatt in Christianity Today. He said, look at examples in Acts 17 through 20 and 24. One of the more intriguing examples is found in Acts 20, the story of Paul preaching long into the early morning. If you read the Greek text, the word used in that passage for preaching is dialogomai, from which we get our English word dialogue. The, those gathered in the room were discussing the gospel in conversation. As an apostle, he was leading this discussion, but he allowed others to speak. I would change that allowed to invited, mm -hmm. but there's the quote. I love that. Okay. A, a dialogue. So, you might already have questions that are making you nervous, right? <laughs> but what if someone says something terrible? Um, somebody will say something terrible. That happens. We're all learning and we're practicing how to be in community and we don't spend that much time together. So I think we have to Give it the most bang for our buck on Sunday morning of how we learn to be community together because that informs how we are community and how we engage with our community outside of Sunday morning. Um, so yeah, somebody might say something terrible. It's okay. You're a good leader. You're trained. You're a good listener. You can help re-steer the conversation. And also, let's be honest, terrible things have been, been being said from the pulpit for centuries, right? <laughs> terrible things have been said. We all know the person who sometimes says a prayer and says something that makes us cringe every time. This happens all of the time. I think it's better when we're in a community where the space is shared and we can, uh, we can respond to that together in the moment. Um, but what if someone tries to take over? Someone will, you have those people. And a lot of times, here's what I've noticed in the two churches we've been part of that practice this. Sometimes people talk all the time because they never get to talk. But if you know that your voice is valued and you have opportunities to do that, there's adjustments that are made. 
right? Things change when you feel that your voice is valued. Um, you're, and also you'll get better at steering and facilitating the community. They will learn the rhythm of the sermonic conversation over time. It takes, it takes practice. Uh, what if the conversation gets derailed? You spent a lot of time on preparation for this message, and what if it gets derailed? People will sometimes derail it, and sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes there's something that needs to be responded to, and you might real time have to switch where you're headed, and that's okay. I think that sometimes that's, that's needed. Um, but there are times when it's not needed, and you just have to re-steer the conversation and get back where you're going. Um, and also, as a demon, as a, <clears throat> I almost said dialogical preacher, <laughs> as a dialog, I almost said diabolical preacher. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> as a dialogical preacher, I have to get better at listening real time too to what people are sharing, and that's really valuable because so often, where I'm headed, they help me along the way, and then I can say. You know, like Mark just said, and, and work that into this to the sermon. Um, what if someone goes on and on and on? <laughs> Once again, it takes practice, and people will learn the rhythm, and they'll respect uh, everybody's voice and want to do it, but it does take time, and there's ways for you to get things back on track. Uh, it's really important. Like I said, don't think that what I'm saying is, that your preaching gift is not valued anymore. It's really valued because when these things happen, you're gonna have to sit back on those that preparation and those gifts to get things going back on your trajectory. Um, and also just be patient. It takes time for us to learn to walk in community together and to try something new. And also this practice has the, um, this will change the culture of your church. It's a culture-changing practice, uh, but it takes time. So I love this quote about Jesus. We may also say that Jesus received attention because Jesus paid attention. He saw and was interested in what people were doing and saying and their needs, and in helpful sympathy, he drew his soul out unto them, being present with each other, paying attention to one another, um, there's a movie that I love called Lady Bird. Anyone seen that? And she talks about, um, when she's talking to a nun about one of her papers, the nun says, it sounds like you really love, uh, what, what's the town? Sacramento. Sacramento. And she said, I'm just paying attention. And the nun says, what's the difference? Like, they're the same thing, love and paying attention. And Horn asks this, can we achieve what Horn calls a point of contact with people? in a sermonic event? Can we create spaces where we can pay attention rather than command attention? And I think the answer to that is yes. What do y'all think? Are you, are you just so excited about trying this? <laughs> All right. Um, sermonic conversation, this is a hard one for people, I think, in Church of Christ tradition. It's not about right or wrong. This is a tough one. We like to come to things, and I like to come to things as the preacher and say, this is the right way, and this is the wrong way. But that's not what dialogical preaching is about. We bring a sense of wonder and curiosity to that. Uh, that's not to say that anything goes. But once again, the community has a way of steering things in a healthy way over time. Sermonic conversations are not Bible light 
um, or almost sermons. They're deeply transformative to the community. We start with the biblical text, we engage that text together, we locate ourselves in the story, and finally we wrestle with the implications for our lives. When we're doing a unidirectional sermon, we're trying to do all of these things just as me and people hearing. But in a dialogical, sermonic conversation, we're doing this together. And I think it's much more effective in terms of transformation. And again, it invites curiosity and reflection. I think reflection is a really important church practice that we don't do enough. Sit around and reflect together about what we're learning. Um, but it's, it's worked into dialogical preaching. An example, you asked about how does, what does it look like? So I showed you that we just started this series on the Beatitudes. So what I'll do is what I would typically do, an introduction, I'll read the, the passage, setting up the trajectory for where we're going, and then I'll ask a question. So this two Sundays ago, I said, what might it look like if we were live out, to live out the eight, eight Beatitudes and just open it up for people to answer that question. Now, sometimes there'll be many hands that go up and we'll you know, take our time, but sometimes it'll be one or two, and that's okay. I give it a little time. Silence isn't bad. It's usually a good thing. Silence often speaks very loudly, um, but it's okay. Um, and something else I might ask is, which of these eight Beatitudes do you see at NHF? I like questions like that because it's so important for our churches to hear what the Spirit is already doing among us that's good. We need strengths-based dialogue. What are we doing well? How is God using us already like this? And so those are questions um, that I like to ask. So I'm going to put this to you all now. What kind of question might you pose to your church community about the Beatitudes during a sermon Talk to someone, a reasonably friendly-looking stranger next to you for a minute. What kind of question might you pose during a dialogical sermon about the Beatitudes? Tim, can you put the next? So here they are, just in case you need a refresher. Just take a couple, two or three minutes. What kind of question would you ask in the middle of a sermon about the eight Beatitudes? All right, let's come back together. I'm very interested to hear what you all came up with. Um, one thing I want to point out is what, did you just hear the noise that was happening? I love that noise. That is the hum of a discipleship community. That's imagining and wondering together. Um, and I love hearing that noise on a Sunday morning during a sermon, a sermonic conversation. All right, what'd you come up with? What would you ask in the middle of a sermon on the Beatitudes, or maybe even just one of them, if you're maybe preaching on blessed are the meek? What'd you come up with? Anyone want to share? Yes. We asked, uh, which one do you feel you're living out the most at this point? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Who among us? Oh, sorry. Okay. I'll raise my hand. Okay. <laughs> yes. If I were asked to speak at a, a congregation that might have a little bit of disunity, I might ask the question, who among you 
is a peacemaker. Who do you see as the peacemaker in this fellowship? And how does that encourage you? Thank you. Tiffany. Yeah, that was it. Who among us yeah. excels in XYZ? Oh, that's so good and encouraging. Yeah. 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 Mike and I talked about what does blessed mean and how does that contrast with what the world would consider blessed means. Oh, yeah. Thank you. One more? I haven't heard from anyone over here. <laughs> Which one of these uh, in particular scares you the most? Oh, that's good. I like that. Thank you. All right, let's keep on going. The most important thing in this is learning to ask better questions. I don't know if we learn to ask great questions in terms of typical models of church success, right? We say, is it working or not? Um, was it successful or not? And those aren't very, those aren't reflective questions. And so we have to get better at asking reflective questions. Um, and so preparation, like I said, is really important for um, the preacher who's going to engage a sermonic conversation. You still need to be aware of the themes and ideas that you want to explore. Um, and then consider what questions are going to help deepen that conversation and invite the participation of the congregation. Listen actively, even as you're delivering your sermon. Play, pay close attention to the responses and the questions of the congregation. Look for opportunities to include things that people have said as you're getting to where you're going. And be open to new perspectives and ideas. There are times when someone will bring a thought or a conversation to the table, and it is way better than what I've spent hours preparing for. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing, unless my ego is winning the day. <laughs> um, avoid asking yes or no questions, that's obvious. Open-ended questions, which invite extended and thoughtful responses. Um, sometimes ask another question. I might ask a question, and after someone answers, I'll say, that sounds really important. Does anyone want to add to that? Or does anyone else have an idea to go on top of that? Be intentional about inviting a diverse range of perspectives. Another benefit to this type of preaching is, it is I have to really be on my toes as a pastor. I need to know the community. I need to be in relationship with people, know what's going on. It's important when we're talking about some things. If I know someone's dealing with something really difficult or traumatic, I'm not going to ask a question that's going to bring that you know, to the surface and hurt someone. So you've got to be really engaged with your community, which I think should be part of our work anyway. Um, some questions that I like to ask, what might this story look like today? Is if this is true, how would it make a difference in our lives? What's familiar to you? What surprised you? What is one thing I can change in my daily life because of this text or story? What's one thing I might do differently? And then, of course, I already shared this. Where do you see this text at NHF? Or where do you see NHF in this text or story? Some of the benefits of dialogical preaching. Anyone can lead these biblical dialogues. It's an every member ministry. We value being a priesthood of all believers. And we are trying to develop all of our skills. And we're trying to locate gifts among us and develop them, including with our kids. We just had a family Sunday where the kids directed the whole service. Wow. And, um, and 
Tim was our sermonic conversation preacher for that, and he asked questions that the kids would feel comfortable. So we did, um, blessed are those who mourn. And so Tim asked questions like, what makes you sad? What makes you feel better when you feel sad? And then those um, answers to those questions, of course, fed right into where we were headed with the, with the message. But it really helps develop all of, the, all of the members in our congregation. All of us need to flex our, our hermeneutical muscles and our imagination, and so this helps with that. Accessible to folks on all areas of the faith journey. I love this because when people come in that maybe haven't been to church in a long time or have never been to church, uh, this is something that's approachable that people can engage with. And it is intimidating to sometimes be asked to reflect on scripture, right, and share that out loud. So a lot of times if we have a visitor, I'll do what I just did with you all. And instead of just throwing it out there, say, talk to someone next to you, and then we'll share out loud. Another thing that that's good for what we just did together is when you do have people that sometimes say things that aren't helpful, if you're sharing what your partner said, it kind of decreases <laughs> the possibility that something's going to be said that's unhelpful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I love it, too, because scripture does the work in dialogical preaching, and the Holy Spirit is sufficient. Like, it is very encouraging to come to a communal, <clears throat> sorry, sermonic conversation and witness the Spirit at work in our brothers and sisters and siblings real time. It's incredibly encouraging. It is so much better to come to church and see the Spirit working through multiple people than hear the Spirit working in one person. I'm not saying that sermons aren't wonderful and preaching isn't, but I'm, I am saying I only remember two or three sermons from my life, right? And a couple of them were from <laughs> Pepperdine. But I remember conversations where I got to connect with somebody a lot more. Um, and those have typically had more of an impact on my transformation to be more like Jesus. Um, community experiences, how the Bible and Christian community impact life. Real time, we're getting to see how these things that we treasure have the power to change us together. Um, leadership is shared across the community. I love churches who are working to expand their leadership base more and more. How can we get more people involved? And so this is great for that. It brings awareness to the lived experiences of those next to us. I'll share a quick story. We were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we were wrestling with the scripture to turn the other cheek. And I had done my work on the message, but one of our members raised her hand and said, I struggle with this text because I was in an abusive relationship. And this scripture was used by people in church to keep me in that bad relationship. And I didn't think about that in my preparation. And I loved that our whole community got to hear that conversation. That's so important. That's so needed for us to think about. And now everybody is going to think about that. And they're also going to know that somebody that we love and care about has been through something. Um, it just, there's so much intimacy and deeper connection that can happen in a communal conversation. Um, and the fact that it happens 
in front of everyone, I, it's just so much better than the after the church conversation when someone comes to you and says, you know, I didn't like this or I was hurt by this. Let's just have the conversation together. I think it's, it's healthier. Um, we already talked about uh, pastoral territory, that we've got to be doing our work as a pastor, cultivating intimacy and connection. Um, and this is study after study has shown that the more interactive something is, the more we retain. Uh, I write teachers know this, building scaffolding and all of that stuff. We just retain more when, when we're doing that. It helps build our listening skills across the community. Churches need to get better at listening. We're not great listeners. Um, and we, this, is a, this is something that helps us listen better. We lean in. We try to hear what people are saying. And that has a, an, a huge impact on what happens when we leave the building, right? It, it bothers me <laughs> that on Sunday, when things are so unidirectional, how are we really preparing one another for what, how we engage our community outside? Are we learning to be better listeners in church and hearing diverse perspectives and diverse stories or, or just one? Uh, I think this helps us be better neighbors, more loving neighbors, more empathic neighbors, and so I think that's a huge benefit. Um, helps us to, yeah, be more empathic. Um, also, like I said, at NHF, we have a lot of folks that are in this deconstructing, reconstructing process that we're hearing so much about, and this is just more comfortable and safe for them, and it's just a good way to start engaging more. So some important things to do as we begin to close. After you're done with the sermonic conversation, you need to reflect on how the questioning went. Um, what did you learn in the process? Use the reflection to refine your approach for the next week. Um, and then just remember that questioning is a skill that takes time and practice, so be patient. I think we should reflect after sermons even if they're unidirectional, <laughs> right? Like, who did I see responding to that? What did I notice in people's body language? But I think this is important because I don't go home after church and just think, oh, I just did such a bad job today. I didn't do this thing that I wanted to do, and I didn't do this well. What I do get to do is think about what people said and how people engaged with the conversation. And that helps me not be depressed on Sunday afternoon <laughs> as much. All right. <clears throat> Next, um, as I said before, it works well in a small church. If you do have a large church and you try it, teach a class at Pepperdine and tell us <laughs> how it works in a large group. Um, it doesn't work well with a unidirectional streaming platform, um, so that's a consideration. It works well for us because we're, we have Zoom and we can go on breakout rooms if we do what we did before in here. Um, and it does change the length of your sermon. So, like I said, you're, don't take Paul literally, and also remember Paul was in dialogue, not just delivering a one-way <laughs> message. Um, go ahead, Tim. So here's some sources for you to look at. Uh, I really like this book, Sharing the Word, by Lucy Atkinson Rose. This is a great book. Um, and then these are some other sources. These last two are articles about dialogical preaching that are really good. Um, but those will be in the slides also. Questions? Yes? On a typical Sunday morning, how many would you have in your fellowship? 
between 50 and 60. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's the biggest size group that you've done this with? Oh, let's see. On Easter Sunday, we probably had 70 to 80. Yeah. And then folks on Zoom, too. Yeah. Have you seen it work at all with I'm thinking about like the, the setup of your space with tables? Have you seen it work at all? I'm thinking, and, and then just like the design of most of our spaces are designed for model of. Right. Have you yeah. seen, have you tried it at all in? When you've been in spaces where there's like an auditorium and there's pews or chairs or something, yeah. even just we were talking about like maybe a way you could take a step toward it is at least having people turn to their neighbor and talk about something, or something yeah. like that. But yeah. I mean, I was picturing like could I have somebody walk around with a microphone and like get feedback, but that'd be about the only way you could do yeah. it in that space because people on one side of the room wouldn't be able to hear people. Yeah, that is what we do. Yeah, okay. we we have done this when we're in rows and we have done it in the pews before we were at this place. We were in a, a typical church um, and we do have microphones, roadie mics that we take around and people walk around and people share into the microphone. Yeah, but it does work. And as you said, sharing with someone next to you is a great yeah. is a great thing. Um, and also, you can just kind of ask people, let's sit closer for our, our conversation that we're going to have today. How would you describe the difference between the dialogical sermon and a Bible study? Yeah. Well, for me, when I, only, when I do Bible study, I, I only do dwelling in the Word. That's it. I will read the chapter in my commentary. Right now I love the Belief Commentary series, and when I come, we'll read it for class, and then I'll know what three points I'm going to hit, but then I'll say, what did you hear? And then people will share what they heard, and then I'll say, those are all great. Uh, here's some things that you know I heard or I discovered in my study, and that's how I'll do class. With this, I'm preparing a sermon, and then... I'm using more sources usually, and then I'm picking questions that help us to get there together. So that's how it works for me. Does that help? Yeah. So, yeah. so how much time do you, do you have set aside for this? How much time for the sermon and then for speaking? Yeah. We typically try, we ask people when they sign up to try to have their sermonic conversation or sermon go from 20 to 22 minutes. And that's usually, for me, I try to do 13 to 15 of the actual sermon and then leave the rest of that for conversation. And it varies. You know, there's a lot of people preaching for the first time. And so things are going to, we're just going to go with the flow. But we try to keep it between 20 and 22 minutes for all of it. For everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I just want to comment that I appreciate the the, uh, the importance of uh, sharing the theological components of it and the benefits of it going deeper. Because in doing this as well, we've seen people who just are so stuck in tradition that they actually love it. And this is the big one way. But um, inviting others to see the theological benefits of it mm -hmm. has been beneficial. So I appreciate it. That's what, one thing I stood out at asking the better yeah. questions. Mm -hmm. really good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I don't know. Did your churches, the two you've been in, that have done this? Did they start out doing that? Did the church like just come together and go, this is 
the only type of preaching they've experienced, or did you have a transition period? And if so, do you have any yeah. advice for churches to transition to this side? Yeah, that's good. So both of them had traditional preaching first. They had a preacher who preached the message on Sunday, and they moved into this. And I will tell you how we did it at New Heritage. So here's what happened at New Heritage, actually. They lost their preacher, and everyone started signing up to preach, and there was a transformation that happened in that, right? right? Sometimes a crisis opens you up to something new, and so that's how that happened. When I want to institute have us try something new. We use a language of experiment a lot. I'll usually get our leaders involved and invite them over and say, here's something that I'd like to try, and then here's what it would look like, and then we'll, we'll do it together. And here's what I need for you to do, and here's how I need you to partner with me in this process of trying to get this new practice to work. And because um, and, you really need to have your shepherds, your elders, your leaders saying, um, just advocating for that and saying this is a great process a great process this is a practice that's going to help us be more like Jesus and is that yeah I come from a youth ministry background and so this makes perfect sense I mean this is the kind of thing we do I would never go to a, a high school group and try to preach at them for 45 minutes or anything. Um, but they they are so used to this and natural I love it I'm, I want you to speak to coming into a congregational setting on a Sunday morning uh, intergenerationally, has this proven to open that door and break some of those intergenerational barriers? Because that seems like part of the genius of this to me. I'm so glad you said that because we. I told Tim I wanted to mention that and I didn't. Yes, one of the things I love about this, our church, it's about what 65 percent of our members are 65 and older. That's you know that's as we're a small church. That's a lot of our folks, and um, they love this conversation. They love getting to dialogue with younger people and vice versa. When we had our kids in there last week, everyone loved it. Um, our kids do this in class, and why do we train them to be in dialogue up until they get to worship and then it's done, right? Um, it's, a, it's a very life-giving process because of that intergenerational thing. And our kids are 22, 20, and uh, 18. And they love getting to hear and share from other people who are older and wiser and younger and funner <laughs> or more fun. That's great. Any any other questions? Are there any moments where you or the leadership like feels like that there like needs to be just a monologue sermon and like you're you're dealing with something or you like you do some type of teaching or do you just still just kind of make that happen in your first part yeah. of your sermon? I, yeah, you got to know your people, right? You know what's going on in your church and what people hopefully need. And um, I usually always try to ask at least one question, even if it's not related to the to the sermon. But just to open it up and remind us that we're this is a shared space. We share authority. We share submission. We share power. Um, so, yeah, know your people and. Anything else? I think that's about time. All right. Thank you for coming. <laughs>